This little boy is four years old. His name was Joe, lived out in Arizona. He was a pretty well-behaved uh, little boy, except he had one habit that um, sometimes came to be a problem with his parents. He didn't like to wear shoes. Well, it came time for his first vacation Bible school, and so his parents were a little reluctant, but they sent him on off there. But it said, while you were in church, you need to keep your shoes on. And so uh, he was over there for the week, and you know they'd drop him off and pick him up, and they were a little apprehensive as to how well he was doing. But on the final day, Vacation Bible School, they came in the nighttime. They had the nighttime program for the parents, and they showed all the different things that the kids had done and put together. And up on the wall was uh, all these these castings that they have made of their feet. And you see all of them. They got all these little feet up there until you came to Little Joe. And you came to Little Joe. There were no feet. There were a pair of hands. <laughs> he wouldn't take his shoes off. Now that's submission, isn't it? That's a little boy right there who submitted to what his parents said to do and went ahead and did it. We've been talking about bearing fruit. That we need to first off recognize what bearing fruit is so that we know that we've done it. Because the Word of God tells us, Jesus taught us over in John chapter 15. He said, I am the vine. I am the vine, the true vine. You are the branches. And that we need to be attached to Him. We need to be part of Him. That if we are, we bear fruit. And the Father is the vine dresser. He prunes us so that we bear more fruit. But the goal is to bear fruit. He said every branch that does not bear fruit, what's He do? Cuts it off. We don't want to get cut off. So we've got to know what the fruit is. So we spend time looking at what the fruit is. And now we're looking at the pruning process. How it is that God prunes us. And we shouldn't be afraid of the pruning process because this is the loving Father. Last week we talked about the role of the Father. He is a loving Father. He is a caring Father. He has our best interest in mind. He never does anything to us to harm us, to hurt us. He does things for us because He knows it will help us. In the same way that we as earthly parents know what's good for our children and we lead them in such a way that you know, don't do this, Stay over here. Go in this direction. We encourage them. We do things for them because we know that down the road this will help them. The Father is even better than we are. And He will do that for us. He will help us in, in these areas, in these ways. But we want to take a look at this, this pruning process and some of the key things. The, the area that's, that's our role. There's God's role in the pruning process and we can't do that. Understand, we're not vine dressers. There's only one vine dresser and that is the Father. We're not here to dress each other's vines. There is a, a role that we can have to help out each other. We, we looked at that a little bit too last week. But last week also we were talking about how He prunes, how He cuts off, how He observes. He observes us to find out what is the best thing for us and He cares for us. That's what our Father God does. His intentions for us are good. He has our good in mind. Don't ever doubt the role of the Father. That his intentions are good. Don't ever doubt it. Just know it and believe it. Well, in order to be pruned, we must be attached to the vine, right? We want to take a look at this passage here in Acts chapter 9. We're looking at, at Saul. And in Saul, it's, it reads this, this way. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus so that he... So that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. 
And he journeyed and he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone round about him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now Saul was going around and he was persecuting the church. He, was, he had letters. He was going around killing Christians. This is the time of the transition. Up until now, there was the Jewish faith. When Jesus was teaching, there was the Jewish faith. And He was teaching those who were the Jewish faith how to follow after the New Covenant. How to, he, was, he was introducing the New Covenant. But now Jesus had died. And so the goal of the church was to proclaim that we are followers of Christ, of Him who died. He died for us. And so they were out there preaching the Gospel. And when Paul heard this, he rejected the Gospel. But he was a Jew. He was not some unsaved person. He was a Roman. But he was a Jew. He was a Jewish Roman. He, he believed in following after God according to what the Old Testament taught. And he was very well schooled in the Old Testament. He studied the Old Testament. He knew the Old Testament books. He could quote the Old Testament. He knew it very, very well. And so I had to ask the question, is Paul attached to the vine. Now, before you answer that question, let's just think on this a little bit. Unsaved people, obviously, are not attached to the vine. But do unsaved people study the Word like Paul did? Do unsaved people pursue what they think is the will of God like Paul did? Now, Paul was wrong. But was he not pursuing killing Christians because he thought they were perverting the way of the Jewish faith? then thereby those who followed after them would not go on to heaven. So is Paul attached to the vine? Just a question right now. Let's take a look at how many unsaved persons in the Word of God do we find that supernatural appearances came to them. Because this is a supernatural appearance. Paul is on the road to Damascus. A big light shines. People all around see the light, hear noise, but don't know what's said. Only Paul hears what's said. This is a supernatural experience. He says, who are you, Lord? He's seeing something. How many times do we see supernatural experiences? How many people here have had a supernatural experience where an angel or Jesus or something, just a, not a dream, but an appearance? Okay, we've got a few. It doesn't come all that often, does it? Now, we have cases in the Word of God where it's happened and that people have gone in this, in this direction. I threw out a few examples for you here in your, in your outline. First off, there was Abraham. Didn't Jesus appear to Abraham? At the time that Jesus appeared to Abraham, was, was Abraham following after God? We had the first time that he appeared, and whether he appeared to his father or he appeared to him, you can have some debate on, on that. But it seemed that they had rejected the way of the idols and were going in a, in a different direction. And, and, and God came to them and spoke to them. But then after that, he was going in a, in a direction of faith. God said, I'm going to make of you a great and mighty nation. And I will bless all nations because of you. This is the promise that God gave him. So there was a lot of things that were promised to Abraham. Directly from, from him. But when he appeared, it was more of a correction. The first time we had, he, he, he appeared and called him. I want you to go over to this land. This is the land I'm going to give you. I want you to go over here. 
God doesn't give things to unsaved people, does He? They're not His. I want you to go on over here. And He, he did that. You're going to be a father of many nations. I want you to do this. And, and all the times that He did it, Abraham went and did it. Moses. Moses was born in, in, uh, as a Jewish, Jewish boy, but you know, the parents, you know the story. The parents uh, put him in the basket and went down the river and got adopted by Pharaoh. And he lived, he lived in Pharaoh's house, was raised in Pharaoh's house, was raised as, as that. But he came to a place where he realized his Jewish heritage and, and the call of God that was on his life to be the deliverer. And he went out there and tried to deliver in his own strength. And it didn't work so well. And he fled. He went out to the wilderness. And we know that out in the wilderness, he stayed there for 40 years and he didn't really do anything at all. And then God appeared to him in a burning bush. Now, was God trying to get him saved there? No, what was he? He was trying to get him back on the path of, of going after being a, d- a deliverer and helping Israel out to, to, to go. He was going to use him for that. There's another example of uh, Gideon. Didn't Gideon get a supernatural appearance? For a particular call that was in his life that he had uh, had trouble with. How about Joshua? Didn't Joshua have a supernatural appearance? But he was already saved. He was already going after God at the time. Mary and Joseph. Didn't Mary have a supernatural experience? Now Joseph had appeared to him in a dream. But there were others around there that supernatural experiences came. But it wasn't to get them converted. We don't really see that the Word of God shows us that Jesus shows up in a scene to convert anybody anymore. Jesus did when He was walking around here on the earth, but that was different. Once He ascended to heaven, we don't really have any instance of Him coming and doing that. Before, He would come as the angel of the Lord, but He came as judgment. He came as encouragement. He came as correction. These are the things that He came and and did. So why is Jesus showing up with Paul if... If he's not attached to the vine, then Jesus would have to be converting him, wouldn't he? Wouldn't Jesus have to be getting Paul saved if he's not already attached to the vine? Now, would you say that Paul in this particular thing is demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit? <laughs> no. So we would say that at least Paul is unfruitful. He's at least an unfruitful branch. If he is attached at all, he's at least an unfruitful branch. Well, we're going to take a, take a look at a certain scripture. I want to want you to turn it over to it's over in Timothy. First Timothy one verse twelve. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly, in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Does he say he did it in unbelief towards God? He did it in unbelief towards Jesus. He was definitely a non-believer as far as Jesus was concerned. Now, here's the fun part. In order to be saved in the New Testament, what do you have to be a believer in? The work of Jesus. That Jesus died on the cross for your sins. That's what you need to be a believer of. And he was a doubter in that area. He, by, this is his own words here. I was an unbeliever. He didn't believe in that part of it. But he was one who was following after God. And before Jesus, or while Jesus' ministry was going on here, he was one who was out studying the things of God. I'm sure he even heard about Jesus' ministry and probably didn't take to it too well. 
He pursued his own way. So, whether he was attached or not, I can't exactly definitively tell you. But it doesn't seem that Jesus shows up on the scene to get too many people attached to the vine. So there had to be some kind of connection that was there. But certainly, at best, he was unfruitful. If he was attached, he was unfruitful. And Jesus shows up on the scene to try and help him out. We're going to learn some things about the life of Paul because before this situation, we've, we've already talked about it, Paul was unfruitful, wasn't he? But after this, was Paul fruitful? So there's something different that Paul did after this that caused him to be fruitful. And those are the things we need to, to understand. He became abundantly fruitful, wasn't he? We want to get to that place of being abundantly fruitful. Here's one of the things that was said to him. Verse 4, Acts 9, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? That's an interesting question. You know, you have this bright light shining from the heaven and someone coming down or shining down a light and apparently he could, I guess, see something. Why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you? Who would you think it was? <laughs> I would at least say, how am I persecuting you, God? But he doesn't say, how am I persecuting you, God? He says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Jesus does not say that he persecutes God. Jesus says, you persecute me. Because one of the things he taught us was, and as much as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you have done it to God. Me. That's right. See, you're always just testing. You're making sure. <laughs> You've done it to me. So, when Paul was going out and killing Christians, he was persecuting God? No, he's persecuting Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? Here's the statement we want to look into. Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. What does that mean? Now, Brother Jolly was kind enough to share with us a nice expression that's uh, used in his country for broke. I never knew that one before. That's an interesting one. But everybody seems to have these expressions that are uh, interesting. How many of you ever watched the show N uh, NCIS? Anybody like the show NCIS? I enjoy the show NCIS. They're, they're kind of fun. But they have that new character that's on there, you know, the, the, um, the one from the um, oh, overseas. Uh, the, the, uh, I'm trying to, the girl, the, um, I'm trying to think of the, the, the group that she's in. What's she, what's she involved in? Yeah, David is the... Mossad. That's it. I couldn't think of what it was. She's a part of Mossad. And she, I mean, she's a tough character. Isn't she? I mean, if, they, get a, they put a lot of um, a woman in the, in the role of a, of, a, of a tough guy. She's believable. You know, I believe she'd take me out and kill me or just... <laughs> <laughs> and not even think two things about it. It's just, you're in the way. But she would come out there and they always have her bringing in certain expressions that we use in this country and getting them just slightly wrong. <laughs> just a little bit, not completely wrong. And she just says it like it's the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> and it's really entertaining. And it's just kind of like they're, her thing. So she'll come up with something that's there. So we have expressions. Here's the expression here. It is hard for you to kick against the goat. Is this an expression from heaven? Now, what good does it do to do an expression from heaven? Jesus is talking to Paul, so it has to be an expression that Paul understands. A lot of folks in this day and age were tillers of the soil. They knew about oxen. 
They knew about the things that went on there. You, you yourself know some expressions that go on about stuff that you don't necessarily know the, 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 uh, all the things about it, but you know the expression. Um, you know, we've heard the, the thing going on, the whole nine yards. How many heard that one? The whole nine yards. You know, I thought for the longest time that was a football term. But, you know, I know what it meant. The whole nine yards. I understood what the concept was, but I didn't know the origin of it. And then somebody came along and said, no, that's a, that's a uh, sewing term. No, I'll take the whole nine yards. Apparently there were nine yards in the, in, the, in the bin for the material that they did. And I didn't know. How many others didn't know that? Yeah, I, I didn't know that until I was a couple of years ago. I found out. I forget when it was or how it was. But the whole nine yards is actually a sewing term. It was a term for uh, material. That's how material came. If you came in there and you liked a particular thing, I'll take the whole nine yards. Because there's nine yards on the on the whole thing. Unless somebody else came in there before and took four of them off or something like that. <laughs> then you wouldn't be able to get nine. But anyway, that's what it came from. It was not a football term at all. And which really did I never figured out how it could be a football term because in football you want ten yards. Generally. I don't know what nine was about, you know. <laughs> but you know, you just kind of accept some things. But we knew what the term meant, even though we weren't co- totally familiar with its origin. And here we can kind of get an idea of what he is saying, but the origin of this is, is uh, maybe still somewhat helpful for us to understand. The uh, goad or prick, how many of you have prick in your, in your Bible? If you have a King James Bible, it'll say prick. If you uh, have some others, it'll say goad. They uh, translate different, well, different ways. And what it was, was it was a prick usually in a wooden shaft or a pointed stick at the, at the end of it. And the man who was working the ox would take the prick, would take the goad, and he would direct the ox with it. If you wanted the ox to go this way, you'd take the goad with the pointed thing and you'd hit him and the ox would feel the pain this way and, and go over here. And so that's what he would go. He, he would direct him that way. And so what Jesus is saying to Paul is, I'm nudging you this way and you're going this way. It's hard for you to kick against the goad. It's hard for you when I am leading you and telling you to go this way and you're going this way. So what is it that the Lord Jesus was leading Paul to do? Stop killing Christians. Right? But Paul was going full board into killing Christians. Even though he was being led and directed with the goad, so to speak, go this way. Paul is saying, uh-uh, I am going full board this way. And every time that the Spirit of God was working upon Paul to try and direct him, again, you need to stop killing Christians. You need to stop persecuting the way. You need to stop uh, persecuting the gospel. This is the right way. Paul would come against it strong because he was not understanding. In Paul's words, he was not believing. He was not a believer in these things. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Why is it that Jesus, through His Holy Spirit, is leading Paul if Paul is not attached? Now again, I don't want to give you a definitive answer. I don't know. But it seems that God doesn't lead unsaved people, but He does lead those who are after Him. Now, if Paul died in this state, would he go on to heaven? I would probably say no. But anyway... We don't need to debate that issue all uh, all that much. Just understand, God is working on him. It is hard for you to kick against the goad. That's a hard thing to do. Again, in Timothy, 
I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. So he says, I did it ignorantly. I did not know that that was the way. I thought that was a perversion of the way. I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. So what happens is Jesus shows up on the road and enlightens him. This is the way. This is the way to go. And we see a change in Paul. The men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the, from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. So in other words, he was blind. He couldn't see. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Verse 10. We come to Ananias. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, not an actual appearing, but a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight. Now how many of you think it's really hysterical that right down the road from here we have a road that's called Street Road? I mean, that is kind of redundant, isn't it? Where do you live? I live on Street Road. <laughs> I mean, it just seems funny. Here we have the straight road. You know, I guess after a while you just run out of names and <laughs> got to come up with something, right? Straight road. Road called straight. So I guess it was probably a straight road. Hmm. Arise and go to the street called straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. Now, I guess they didn't have numbers on the streets. They just, you know, you knew who lived in each house. And this was Judas's house. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. So this is the vision that Ananias is having. And in the vision, how would you like to have a vision like this? I want you to go to this particular street and this particular house. There's a particular individual in that by the particular name of Saul. How many of you wake up from that and do it? <laughs> to go to a house maybe you haven't been to and ask for a person who doesn't live there. That'd be something else, wouldn't it? We told you the story before Lester Summerall shared with us about his uh, time overseas when he was going over... Um, oh, I forget. It'll come to me in a minute. Um, uh, he was going over with a uh, well-known minister of travel. I'll, I'll think of his name here in a little bit. But anyway, he was going heading on over there. And uh, it was Howard Carter. Yes, thank you. He was heading over there and they were supposed to meet in one place and uh, Howard Carter was looking for him. And he wasn't uh, showing up, wasn't showing up. But Howard Carter had detoured and gone to a different place than he had told Lester he was going to meet him at. And Lester got all his affairs in order, was going to head on out there, got on down to uh, out in California somewhere, was going to get on a boat. And his, he bought it. Uh, ticket to the place he was supposed to go to and down in his spirit it just said that's not right so he went and cashed the ticket in and he said well Lord what am I supposed to do and the Lord said to him go buy a ticket over here and I think it was to the I don't know do you remember what town it was yeah I don't remember where it was but anyway change it went to a, I think it was Australia he said actually the spirit of God just said go to the bottom of the world and he was inquiring to think you know what's well Australia is the bottom of the world alright so he bought a ticket to Australia and he gets in a boat ride. He's going to Australia. 
doesn't know why. Just it's the spirit is telling him to go there. Even though he's supposed to meet Howard Carter in this other place, China or something like that. And so he uh, heads over there and, and de- um, uh, gets off the boat and begins to look around for a place. And so he asks somebody, he says, is there a place where they worship God like this? And he well, yeah, there's a church down over there. And, and so he gets over down to that church where they worship God like this. And there's a parsonage near it. And so he goes and he knocks on the door of the parsonage and this big, large man answered the door and said, Hello, you must be Lester Summerall. Howard Carter sent me to meet you. <laughs> so don't think this is just a one-time occurrence. You know, Howard Carter's over there saying, Where's this man you were going to send to me? And the Lord said, He's coming. But uh, send somebody over here to this house to meet him. And Howard Carter said, I need you to go over here to this house and wait. Lester Summerall is going to come. He's going to meet you there. Isn't that neat? God can do all that sort of stuff. God is good that way. So Ananias, he gets one of these kind of visions. Go over here to this street. Go over here to this house. And inside there's going to be a man named Paul. He's blind. But he's seen in a vision you coming over and laying hands on him. And Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much harm he has done to your servants in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. What Ananias is saying is this. Father God, I understand the plan. But I think there's a problem. I understand, you know, you want me to go in there. You want me to take care of this thing. But you know what? Um, It sounds like I'm going to die if I do this. I'm probably, this is probably my last mission. If you send me on this, this is probably pretty much it. I know this guy, he's supposed to kill people. If I show up and say, I'm one of them, I'm here to lay hands on you, then he'll, you know, I'll lay hands on him and then he'll kill me. Once he can see me, he'll kill me. So I really like the idea that he's blind. He's probably thinking this anyway. This is all right, he's blind. This is not a bad thing. Now understand that it is not doubt and unbelief to ask God questions like this. Because God doesn't come and rebuke him at all for asking this question. It's a whole lot better to ask the question while you're there. Then ask the question later. So, he goes on. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So he says he is a chosen vessel. Not that he will become, but that he is. And then I will show him how many things he must suffer for my sake. So the will show him is future, but he is now a chosen vessel. Whether that is now at the time of his experience on the road or as is now even before then. Don't know. But at this present time, he is a chosen vessel. And so Ananias doesn't argue. Ananias gets up. He heads on out to the street called Straight. Finds Judas's house. Knocks on the door. Is Saul here? And the Word of God says, and laying his hands, verse 17, on him, he said, Brother Saul. Wow, isn't that good? This is a guy who, who submitted himself to God, wasn't it? This is the guy who believed the Word of God. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Apparently, one of both things done. 
Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Now I want you to look at this, what Ananias was told to do. Ananias was sent to him, and apparently there was more said to Ananias than we were told in the initial vision. Because he comes to him, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight. Isn't that the part we knew about? And that you may be filled with the Holy Spirit. There is a difference between being saved and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Thank God it can all happen at the same time. But here, we already see in verse 19, Go, for He is a chosen vessel of mine. Does that mean He's born again? Well, we, we can debate whether He was born again before the road or whether He was you know, following after God. Attached is the word we use. We can debate whether He was attached to the vine before the road. But after the road, there's no doubt about it, He was attached, wasn't He? He is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. What is interesting too in this commission is that for Paul, it's backwards. When Jesus left, what commission did He give to His disciples? To bear my name in Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, and all the uttermost parts of the earth. So in other words, we're going to first off go to Jerusalem and Judea, the Jews. Then we're going to go to Samaria, the mixed Jews. And then you're going to go to all the parts of the earth, which are the Gentiles. But here, go for he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. When Paul went out, what was his first ministry to? Gentiles. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter was more the apostle to the, to the Jews. And he followed that. Brother Saul, the Lord appeared, who, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Just because you got saved doesn't mean you got filled with the Holy Spirit. Now thank God there's no other qualification you need. But get filled with the Holy Spirit. If Paul needed it, you needed it. If Peter needed it, you needed it. Peter was saved. Of course, the Spirit of God came in the, on the house when they were all up there waiting. And some people have gone out there and taught, well, you get all the Holy Spirit when you get saved because after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Yet we can go after countless times in the book of Acts after Pentecost in which people, after they received Jesus as their Savior, that Paul came in and laid hands on them. Peter came in and laid hands on them. We see Philip. He wanted, Philip went about getting people saved, but he didn't get them filled. Peter came in sometimes. Others came in sometimes and got them filled. Get filled. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened, and Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. So some things happened. Just like Paul saw it. It's unfolding. It's happening. We got two people here who submitted to the things of God. Paul and Ananias. In verse 20, immediately he preached the, he preached to Christ in the synagogue and he, that he is the Son of God. How many new converts, if Paul just became converted at the road, how many new converts go out three days later and start preaching Jesus? That's not generally the thing the new converts do, do are they? 
But see, Paul had learned the Old Testament. Paul knew the Old Testament probably better than anyone else in his day. He was very well versed in the Old Testament. And during those days when he was blind, the Holy Spirit is probably ministering to him, teaching him what you learn in the Old Testament. Here's how it points to Christ. Because Paul in his epistles is constantly showing us, here's the Old Testament, here's how it pointed to Christ. He did it often. I'm sure he had much more to say after these three days to teach him about that. But he knew enough that he could go out there and he could preach. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on the name in Jerusalem? And has he come here for the purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. And they watched the gates day and night to kill him. And the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. How did the plot become known? <laughs> We're not told, are we? But we already have one supernatural vision to Paul. Another supernatural vision that told him how the whole thing was going to get fixed. Another supernatural vision to Ananias that told him where Paul was, or, or where Saul was, where he resided, and what he was supposed to do. It could very well be that another supernatural vision came to someone else that said, Paul, they're over here trying to do this thing against you, so we've got to do this. Could be. Maybe it was just more through a natural way. Don't know. It doesn't tell us. However it was, it became known to them, and they uh, decided to, to do this. The disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. So there are some Jews that plotted to kill him because they saw him as an enemy. But the disciples decided, you know what? God's in this thing, so we need to, to help out. And so they let him down in the, through the window. And when Paul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And so he was with them at Jerusalem, coming and going, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent, sent him out to Tarsus. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They were multiplied. But in this story, we see that Paul was going in one direction. Apparently, God was leading him through his spirit. No, don't go this way. Don't go this way. Stop this. Stop this. And he wasn't listening. And so the vision comes down from heaven to direct Paul and to go into a different different way because he was resisting the things that had gone on before. He became blind for three days. But that was taken care of. He was prayed for and, and, uh, and fixed. And he went on his way. Went on his way and preached the gospel. Preached to people. Ananias is looking at Paul. Saul that day, at that time. And he is making a judgment upon Saul. Well, okay, hold on a minute. Saul, he is a, he's not a good guy. I think he's here to kill people. I'd really rather not go on over there. But even despite that, looking at Saul and determining he's not a good guy and seeing all the things that went around it, listen, how many times have we looked at something and decided it's not such, such a good thing? Have we ever done that? Have you ever looked at a person Maybe you first start off at work sometime and you first saw a person and you looked at them and said, oh, they're, I'm not going to enjoy them. And then found out later on they were okay. 
He did enjoy them. They were all right. But we make judgments sometimes based upon things that we look. Sometimes we look upon a store and we look on the outside. Oh, that doesn't look like all that great of a store. But then we go inside and find out, wow, they got some stuff in here I really like. We can't always judge that. How many have ever heard the, the phrase, you can't judge a book by its cover? Well, that's that's the, the, the way it is too. There was a, um, a situation I was in and uh, some of the classical music I like, I, I, was, I was looking for, still am looking for, a uh, version of Haydn's uh, cello, uh, uh, his, first, his first cello concerto. Because it's, it's a beautiful piece. And so I was going out there and I was looking at things and, and you know, this one does it fast and this one does it a little bit slower and this one, it kind of has some, some different tempos and stuff. So I was listening to this. This is nice. This is nice. And I'm reading some of the people's comments about it. And, um, but none of them were really hitting me. And I came upon this one and I looked at it and you looked at the cover because you can see the cover. You know, I did this all online and look at the cover and the cover looked ugly. Looked ugly. I said, ah, oh, I'm not going to like that one. So I listened to it anyway. You know what? It was pretty good. <laughs> it did a pretty nice job. It had a nice little mix of, of all that. You can't always judge a cover or a book by its cover. You can't always judge a person by what you see. You've got to tap into what the Spirit of God has to say about it. What is the Spirit of God saying? How is God saying to go about this thing? And you listen to that. And Ananias did it. There was a submission from Ananias. Is Ananias bearing fruit in this situation? Do we see the, the, the characteristics of fruit in his life? Yeah, we do. And there's a reason for it. He's, a, he's attached to the vine. And when he says to God, you know what, this guy's coming here. Or he says to the Lord Jesus, this guy's coming here to do this. And he speaks the words to it. Is that not a form of pruning by the Father? Because if we looked at it last week, the Father uses the Word. He uses the Holy Spirit. And He uses other believers as part of that pruning process. Is that not part of the pruning process? No, hold on, don't, don't go there. If you, follow out, if you follow that thought out, you're going to miss this blessing. You're going to miss this thing over here. Ananias, I am giving you the opportunity to go over there, to lay hands on, to baptize in the Spirit, and to see the healing of one of the greatest apostles in the New Testament who's going to go and do many things for my namesake. I'm going to show him how many things he's going to suffer for me. And so Ananias did it. And we know Ananias first and foremost probably because of his relationship with Paul. Listen to the Spirit of God. This is one of the most important things we, we have is that we need to listen. We need to submit ourselves to what the Spirit of God has to say. What is the Spirit of God saying to us? And when He says it, we need to go out there and do it. We can't keep on resisting. We can't go on there and just, well, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go in that direction. Paul was going in a particular direction. The Holy Spirit came and said, Paul, don't go that way. He's not listening. Finally, the vision comes and he listens to it. And then he goes in a completely different direction, the direction God was leading him to go in all the time. And things take off for Paul. Things are good. But he faces opposition. People wanted to kill him. Just because you follow after the right way, just because you go after the way that God says, doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. doesn't mean that you're not going to have problems. Glory to God. God is there to help us through the problems. He's there to, to deliver us, to set us free. Help us to overcome. Paul said in his, in his writings, I thank my God. He's delivered me from all the... And as he listed all his persecutions, all the things that have come against him, I thank my God He's delivered me from them all. Put in your outline this. Pruning involves our submission. In obedience to the Word of God, whether written 
or spoken. Pruning involves our submission and obedience to the Word of God, whether written or spoken. Whether God speaks something to you or we see something written in the Word of God and we obey it. Pruning involves our obedience and submission to it. Ananias, we see him. He submitted to it. Doesn't Paul submit to what it said? I mean, this is a, this is a huge about face for Paul. This is a big change with Paul. And he went ahead and did it. How many times... If we made this kind of a big change in our life, how many of us are thinking, well, what are people going to think about me? Oh, they're going to think that I was wrong before. Well, you were. Paul was wrong before. But he says, that's all right. That's all right. I'd rather be submitted. And so we see that the intent of Paul all along was to serve and to do the will of God. And he thought he was doing so in killing the Christians. And as soon as he got revelation, as soon as he got understanding that that wasn't the will of God, he changed it and went completely in the other direction. He submitted to it. He obeyed. Ananias submitted to what the Word of God said and obeyed. If you go on and you read the rest of this, as far as uh, Peter, you're going to see he, he also is submitted and does things the way God says so. When we resist, we have a problem. That's where the problem comes in. When we resist, all you Star Trek fans out there know the number one enemy of, of the uh, Federation was... The Borg. And the Borg would come in and they would say, that's the first thing they always say. As soon as they walk in, resistance is futile. <laughs> They're trying to disarm you. The first off, you can't resist us. We are going to overtake you. Resistance is futile. We've got to understand when we're dealing with God, folks, resistance is futile. Why in the world resist? Don't resist the things that God has to do. God is not the Borg. God is not an enemy. God is a good God. He has good motives for His good intentions for us. He wants to take us in good ways. And when He sees us going in a direction, this isn't good. This isn't going to bear fruit. You're not going to become the fruit producer that you want to be. And it brings me glory when you bring fruit. And so as the pruner, as the vine dresser, I'm going to come in and I'm going to prune and I'm going to fix some things in there. But you've got to submit to it. You've got to not resist. But we resist because, well, I don't, I don't want that. I want this for my life. I want to go after this. I don't want to do that. But I want to do this. And we've got all these things in there that I want to do, I want to do, I want to do. And God says, it doesn't matter what you do, want to do. What do you need? I know what you need. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to guide you into that area of what you need. How many times at nighttime we're, we settle down for bed and the Spirit of God says, you don't need sleep right now. You need, you need this. And we say, oh, I'll do that in the morning. No. Listen to him. Oh, God's got some good things. God's got some good things. Don't resist Him. Listen to where He is leading you. Learn to, to follow God in the little things. And the big things will be a whole lot easier. Don't resist Him. Submit and obey. If you see it in His Word, obey it. Up until this point, Paul tells us in Timothy, I was ignorant and in unbelief. But as soon as the ignorance was cleared up, he changed the way that he went. As soon as God clears up the ignorance in your life, you need to change the way that you go. Follow after the things of God. Follow after His Word. His Word should be the most important thing to you. Learning about His Word and obeying His Word should be the most important thing in your life. Because if you do that, you'll hear His direction. You'll be pruned by the Father God. And you will bear much fruit. And if you bear much fruit, many of the things you're trying to do, you end up doing. You'll be walking in love. 
You'll be walking in peace. Joy will be a part of your life. Long-suffering, patience, goodness, kindness, all these things are going to be part of your life because you submitted to the, to the will of the Father. That's what we need to, to do. There's a story told of an infantry commander in Vietnam in 1967 when the Viet Cong soldiers had surrendered and one of them was wounded. And while the others were surrendering, he was resistant. He was shot in the leg and his leg was bleeding out. And he couldn't run. He couldn't walk. He was just down on the ground. He didn't have a weapon. But as soon as anybody would come near him to try and help him out, he would kick and he would throw mud and he would do whatever he could to keep them away. And he would speak in his, his native language. And they, they, of course, they didn't understand him. So it wasn't helping. But as soon as anybody would try and get near, that's how he would respond. And uh, one of the guys came up to the commander and he says, this guy's going to bleed out. He's going to die. We've got to do something for him. And so he walked over to him and he took off his belt with the grenades and the gun and he laid it aside. He did it, he said mostly, because he didn't want the prisoner to get a hold of the grenades and the gun. <laughs> but he took those things and he laid them aside and the soldier saw him as, as unarmed. Then he came in and he just... He picked him up. And he could just tell that the, the soldiers started to relax a little bit. He was still tense, but he started to relax a little bit. He wasn't kicking and he wasn't throwing mud anymore. And he carried him over to the helicopter. And he put him in the helicopter because they're going to lift him over to a place, to one of the medical facilities, and, and sew him up so he wouldn't be bleeding. And he didn't want to leave the soldier because of all that happened before. So he decided to stay with him. And so he put him into the helicopter and he carried him. And this is the first time that this soldier had ever been in a helicopter. That he had ever soared above the trees. And you could tell that just from his response because he was watching and he, this fear came over him. Terror. He's looking out over there and he took a hold of the soldier who picked him up. He went over and grabbed hold of his leg and he kind of held on tight. Thinking, you know, it might fall out or who knows what was going through his mind. And, and as the helicopter landed in the medical facility... The, the soldier once again went over and he grabbed the Viet Cong prisoner and he picked him up and he carried him over to the, to the uh, operating room. And the soldier, when he saw where he was going, just very much relaxed and was at ease. And he realized they're not meaning me harm. They want to help. And he just completely relaxed and he was able to take him and put him into the medical facility and he didn't fight or squawk or do anything he just let them take care of him. Too many times, folks, we're wounded down on the ground. And God sees us wounded. And He's trying to come out and He's trying to help us. But we fight and we kick. We say, no, that's Saul over there. That's a bad situation for me over there. I don't want to go over that way. I don't want to go over there and help that one. I don't want to speak to that one. But God says, this is good for you. This is not just good for them. This is good for you. I need you to go over there and do this. If we listen to the things that God says, if we submit ourselves to the things that God says, we're being pruned. Things change. We become exceedingly fruitful because we're just submitted. It doesn't mean you can't ever ask questions. Ananias showed us, I can ask questions. And Jesus is okay with me asking questions. Ask the questions now. That's fine. Remember Moses up on the mountain asking all the questions? He got them all answered until he got to the end and he's just trying to bail out of it. Then Jesus got a little upset. 
But up till now, he's fine with asking questions. He wants you to understand. He wants you to have a handle on, on what it is that, you, that you're doing. But he wants you to obey. He wants you to submit. And if we obey and we submit to his word, obey and submit to his will, and when he speaks to us and we say, all right, I'll go ahead and do that. I, we, I don't sit there and say, well, I don't, I don't like that one. I don't want to do that. No, we just submit and we obey. Folks, things change in our life. Things for Paul changed drastically from this day. Drastically. He went from not bearing any fruit at all to bearing some fruit. And we can do the same thing. If we're bearing some fruit, we can bear more fruit. If we're bearing no fruit, we can bear some fruit. But you've got to submit. You've got to obey. And the only way you can do it is to know His Word. Be in His Word. Study His Word. Be in prayer. Listen to what the Spirit of God tells you to do. Because whatever He tells you to do, it's for your benefit. It's for your good. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we know and we trust that You have our best interest at heart in everything that we do. I thank You for the help that You give us. That we will follow after You. We are called Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. We want to listen to His voice. Listen to Your Word. Listen to the guidance of the Spirit. We don't want to be one who's kicking against the goat. Moving in a direction other than the one we're being guided in. Father, that won't produce fruit. We want to go in the direction that You lead us. So, Father, we thank You for the help that You give us. For all the things that You've put in Your Word to help us become fruitful and to understand what it is that we're supposed to do. What it is that Your will is. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.